Welcome back to the third episode of Do Not Be Afraid. Today's episode has a subtitle. Um, The subtitle is Some Invisible Things Are Powerful. More than 50 years ago now, I was given this uh, microscope as a gift as a young child. And early in life, I learned that uh, there are realities that I could not see except through a lens. This, of course, is nothing like the powerful microscopes that are now used by scientists. Uh, The electron microscope, for example, that uh, would be used in today's world to capture uh, high-resolution images of things that our naked eye cannot see. Here's an image of the coronavirus that uh, the electron microscope captured, and this is what's causing all the ruckus that has disrupted the globe. And so we need to recognize that although we cannot see it, it is very powerful. And in this case, it's a power that is bad news. So point number one on your outline is this, bad news is this, some invisible things are powerful. Now, a good question to ask might be this. Why do we believe that this thing which we have never seen is real? And I believe it's real. Why do we believe it's real? Because the experts who have seen it live through a lens are communicating that it is real to us and they have studied it and they're telling us what we need to do about it. Now, If that was all that was taking place, maybe there would be fewer of us that would believe the expert eyewitness testimony. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? Now there is evidence trailing behind this invisible thing that's starting to spread across the globe and media is starting to let us know about the evidence and how many people are affected. In fact, that is why the scientists decided to look through a lens and figure out what is causing this disease, this, these symptoms, and they have discovered and put a label on it. So this is the bad news. But before we move on to the good news, let's just acknowledge this, that there is evidence behind unseen realities in the scientific world that we actually apply a faith to the expert eyewitness testimony, as well as faith to their interpretation of the evidence that we observe as a result. So that's all I'm going to say about the bad news at this point. Isn't it interesting how um, when you're studying scriptures, they take on a kind of a a nuanced meaning that is slaps you in the face when you're going through something at the time. I want to share with you a scripture that hit me completely different than I usually uh, interpreted it to mean because of what we're going through. And it's found in Proverbs and it reads this way, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. I have almost always looked at this view this verse from the standpoint of revelation that God has given us throughout history and the eyewitness testimonies that we have been studying uh, that came in history about the evidence of the reality of of God and the unseen realities that we put our faith in. But here, this fits rather well with the unseen realities in the scientific world, in the realm of physical things that we cannot see. 
Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. If the scientists did not tell us what to make of what's happening, we would go, huh, I don't know what to do about it. And we would just cast off all restraint, do whatever we wanted to do, and we'd catch the virus and spread the virus everywhere. But because of their wisdom and their revelation shared with us, we have to make a decision. Blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. This kind of revelation uh, comes in multiple lenses. So we have the microscopic lens that the scientists use, but when we're talking about the realities that bring us good news, the answer to how we're going to make it through this, and we're going to make it through this because God is going to walk us through. So we do not need to be afraid. So let's talk about the good news now. Point number two, the good news is this. Some invisible things are powerful. Notice that the good news and the bad news uses the same truth. Some invisible things are powerful. So we're going to shift gears now and talk about invisible spiritual realities. It's not a microscope that reveals, but it is a lens. It's the lens of revelation. And I believe the lens of revelation, much like I believe in the reality that science presents to us when science is presenting things that we cannot see. I'm uh, always curious about how some people view the concept of faith. And we're going to be talking about faith today. And I want to make some uh, clarifying comments about what real faith is all about. So I'm going to start with this one on the screen. Objective reality is what makes faith work. There's a lot of people that put faith in a completely different category than in objective reality. There's a lot of uh, people that do not believe in God that say this thing about faith is real for you, but we don't really think it's real. You're just believing it and so it works for you. That is not the kind of faith I'm interested in at all. And when I Talk about Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about fairy tales, an unreality that as long as I believe it, then it works. I believe it's a reality that we're talking about. So I want to talk about this definition of faith a little bit more. On the screen, we have this quote. I am not interested in a subjective reality apart from the objective reality. I'm not interested in the power of believing by itself. I'm interested in the power of the God we believe in. What I'm interested in is reality, and you are too. We all are. Now, I don't know if you believe in God, but we do all believe in reality, and we do all want to know what is reality. Isn't it interesting that we all ask the same questions? We all have the same quest. We want to know what is reality and what's the meaning of life. And that we want reality to shape the meaning of our lives and what we do with it. And every worldview will shape how we respond to what we believe is reality. So true faith is not believing whatever we want to believe. Now, here's another quote. Our faith in the expert's eyewitness testimony plays a role in theology as well as in biology. The parallels are remarkable. So let me just introduce the parallel that I'm talking about. 2,000 years ago, there was a contagious outbreak, but it was a contagious outbreak of good news. It was the news that Jesus Christ made some claims about himself. They were so incredible, these claims, that they crucified him 
for it. And when he was crucified, everybody who believed that he was going to proclaim himself as the Messiah dropped all belief because they did not believe that the Messiah could be crucified. But then Jesus rose from the dead. And this disbelief was resurrected with it also as eyewitness upon eyewitness saw the resurrected Jesus. And so there was a vindication of his claims. He's really who he claimed to be. And so this movement, this outbreak spread across the globe, much like a contagious virus, but in the good sense, this was a contagious good news spreading across the globe from person to person in a reality that they experienced personally. And so we're going to talk about the good news. Some invisible things are powerful, that God is a powerful reality. Now, I want to talk about God and I want to talk about faith and how the objective reality of God is what makes our faith work. Without the objective reality of God, our faith is nothing but a subjective, feel-good effort to make sense of our world. But it doesn't work, Paul says. If Jesus really was not raised from the dead, we who believe that he was are of all people to be pitied. But he was convinced he was raised from the dead. So the reality is what makes our faith so powerful. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we read this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Again, what we hope for is not what we, whatever we want to believe. It's not whatever we wish for. This hope, the way the believers and the apostles talked about is a solid thing. It's a hope that's coming because of the reality of what Jesus has done. It's a hope that is sure because of the sureness of the objective reality of Jesus and of God. There's all the evidence that's visible around us and now the expert witnesses are saying it's more than that. He revealed himself to us in this way, story after story after story, and it makes sense of the observable phenomena. We jump down to verse 6 in Hebrews 11. It reads this way, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So if you want to jot the notes down, Point A on your outline is this. Faith is the only way to please God. Now, already you see that God is not just an impersonal force. He can be pleased. He has set up certain things that he wants us to trust him. See, there's what we need to understand. Faith is a trust in an objective reality. When we trust the reality and he's the reality, and we truly come to him, even though we can't see him, he responds to that, and he wants that. He loves us, and has revealed himself to us, and in that revelation, throughout history, in such a way that's really amazing how it's put together, we see through the lens of that revelation that this thing has more to it than might be observable from a distance. It's really supernatural. Faith is the only way to please God. Let's go back to Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance 
about what we do not see. In verse 2 we read, this is what the ancients were commended for. So faith is what pleases God and B on your outline, God responds to your faith. Now, there have been so many revelations of God, personal revelations of God throughout history. And he's revealing more and more about his character, his being, what he likes, what he doesn't like, and who he is and how he works. And he wants us to trust him more and more. And you can get to know him as a reality and your trust, your faith can literally grow. There's so many of these stories, but I'm going to tell you a story today. It's a, one of the many stories about an invisible reality. And I want you to look it up and read it later. Here's just a shortened version of the story from 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, it's a story about Elisha, not to be confused with Elijah. Elijah was Elisha's mentor. Elijah did amazing things. He did miracles and and that's told about. And seven of these miracles are talked about. Elisha, who was the mentee or the apprentice of Elijah, before Elijah left the scene, Elisha prayed that he would be uh, anointed with a double portion of the spirit or the power of the man of God, Elijah, that he expressed in his faith. And as if to prove that to be an answered prayer, the author of 2 Kings write downs 14 of the miraculous things that Elisha experienced in his ministry. Now, Elisha and Elijah both were prophets. You need to understand what a prophet is. A prophet is not a fortune teller. A prophet is a spokesperson for God that God uses uh, to shape uh, the nation, his nation that he called to be his own, and to turn them uh, back to himself. And so sometimes they did miraculous things, sometimes they did not. Sometimes they're able to uh, have special knowledge and teach about that knowledge that God reveals to them. Well, in this story, the Arameans are against the uh, nation of Israel. And in the nation of Israel at the time, uh, the Arameans had a greater power and they were trying to uh, capture the king and mess with the nation of Israel. But Elisha had inside scoop given to him by God miraculously over and over again. And every time the Arameans made plans, Elisha would tell the king and the king would then check to see if Elisha really had the inside scoop and he'd look and sure enough, he avoid the traps that the Arameans were trying to set for the king. Then the king of Aram gets really angry at his uh, personality. He says, who is the spy among us that's working for Israel? Because every trap and every plot is foiled as if special information is being passed along to the other side. But then somebody on his team said, no, what we know is taking place now is this. The prophet of God, Elisha, is telling the king uh, what your plans are. And he's telling him things that you only say secretly in your own bedroom. And so... The king of Aram comes up with a plan. Well, then where is Elisha? Let's capture him. And then that will take care of the problem. And sure enough, they've sent out scouts and discover where Elisha is located. He's located in the little city of Dothan. And the king then puts a whole army together and marches overnight. And in the morning, the city of Dothan is surrounded by a huge army of the Arameans. The servant of Elisha, goes outside the door and is shocked to see this huge army surrounding the city. And he says, oh no, to his master, what are we going to do? And he's freaked out. They're dead. 
they're sure that this is the end. At least the servant is, but not Elisha. Elisha prays to the Lord. He prays, Lord, would you open his eyes to see that there are more with us than against us? And in the moment that he prays it, the servant opens his eyes and he sees on the hillsides surrounding the army that's around the city so much more in army that was invisible prior to. He describes it as an angel army with chariots of fire glowing with these huge glowing beings. I say huge, it doesn't say that, but that's how I picture angels. Huge and powerful surrounding them. And then I'm going to let you read the rest of the story as to what takes place. It's a wonderful story about the power of the unseen realities. So before we move on, if you're afraid of the unseen reality of these little viruses, Just remember, we serve a God who has a kingdom that's so much more powerful. The manufacturer of power has so much more power than a limited amount of power. We have nothing to fear. God is going to take care of us. What I want to do now is just transition a little bit and compare Elisha and what Elisha believed about things unseen and Jesus about what Jesus believed about things unseen. And we shift to another army scene where a whole army surrounds Jesus to arrest him. We come to the arrest scene. Before we do, I have a quote for you. (laughs) If you want to get God's attention and ignite his action for you, faith is required. That was what was required of Elisha. God responded. And we're going to see in a moment that's what God required of Jesus as he was living in a human body and he would activate his faith and God would respond over and over and over again. That's what we just read in Hebrews eleven six, and I want to highlight the specific phrase again. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let's pause right here. If you believe God exists, how engaged are you? If you're feeling fear with an invisible army of viruses around you, how engaged are you earnestly seeking God, which is an objective reality with much greater power to diminish your fears? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about do not be afraid. Now let's transition to Jesus who has overcome his fear And here's the arrest scene that we read about in Matthew. In Matthew 26, 47, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now I'm going to stay in Matthew here for a moment, but in the Gospel of John, this same scene is described and John uses a word that talks about uh, detachment of soldiers. And it's a, it's a specific word that relates to the cohort or the uh, Roman detachment, which in number has a number. We usually read this scene and we don't realize how many soldiers were sent out to arrest Jesus. It, conservatively now, Uh, with an underestimate, it's hundreds of soldiers armed and trained were sent to arrest Jesus along with the priests and the temple soldiers on the Jewish side as well. This is a huge mob coming against Jesus. And the disciples react. Those who had weapons were pulling it out, Peter being one of them. And then we skip down to what Jesus says when he addresses that situation. In Matthew 26, 
52 through 53, we read, Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once, at my disposal, put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? So I want to do a quick compare and contrast here. The detachment of this huge crowd, the detachment of Roman soldiers that have been filling uh, Jerusalem at this time because of the Passover event that came against Jesus is large. It's really much larger than we would normally think as we're reading it. But the number of angels that Jesus could have called in that moment is countlessly larger still than that. And if it was just one for one, I'd go with the angel. But Jesus said we could have 12 legions. Now, a legion is a number that kind of flexed as it described the Roman uh, army. A legion moved up to the number of 7,000 for the Roman army. But that term in the New Testament is usually used as a countless number. So the countless number times 12, Jesus says, is at my disposal. Don't you know that I'm not worried here? And you know why he wasn't worried? Because Jesus had a better plan than calling all the angels against this army. Here was his plan. Jesus went to the cross on purpose with our disease of sin to conquer it. And his death conquering life is our vaccine. Now we're not just talking about disease here and I'm not talking about if we trust in Jesus, we don't have to worry about coronavirus Christians and non-Christians alike, I believe, will be infected. But we will make it through. We have no fear of death. Why? Because Jesus Christ took away our sin and he took away our death. And with that, he took it away and conquered it and provides to us the vaccine of his resurrection life, his resurrection power in our life. And he is going to bring us through with his plans and bringing glory to his name. Faith is the only way to please God and God responds to your faith. There's really two sides to the power of faith, the objective reality and our faith expressed as we trust in the objective reality. If God didn't do what he did, our faith would be useless. But if we don't place our trust in what he did, faith is useless. It has to be personally appropriated and you have to engage your faith for that faith to engage God for you personally. And so that's the message for today. How can we take this and make it more practical still? Well, here we are separated with social distancing and I'm asking you, how are you engaging your faith to allow it to grow and allow his kingdom to expand and his kingdom to advance and the good news to advance in your life and the bad news to recede. What are you doing to engage your faith? The objective reality of the invisible God will do precisely that. He is pleased when you come to him and worship. He is pleased when you, you come to him and learn more and grow in him.
I encourage you to consider going to our church Facebook page and look at a daily schedule as we're bringing live content to you on a daily basis with pieces that will encourage you to grow and engage your faith. In a moment, I'll be closing with prayer. But before I do, let me do as I did last week and encourage you to engage your faith in this way. When we would gather together on Sunday, we would do as Jesus asked us to do. We would participate in this memorial meal that we call communion or the Lord's Supper, where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, where he established a new covenant in his blood and then conquered our sin and death on the cross and rose from the grave. And he says, now, when you get together, remember that. Take this piece of bread and remember that I came in bodily form to take your sin away. Take this cup and when you drink it, remember that it cost me my life and my blood. Now I'm going to again encourage you to go after we pray and find bread and juice. And if you don't have unleavened bread and if you don't have grape juice, I'm just giving you permission to improvise because engaging your faith and remembering what Jesus has done is what makes your faith connect with God, please God, and he will respond to your faith. Would you pray with me? And I give you permission. It might feel awkward to you and maybe it won't feel awkward. I'm going to put the prayer on the screen. I'm going to pray it out loud. If you want to pray it out loud right off the screen with me, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, We come to you, we believe in you, and we earnestly seek you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come with your blessings and reign over us. Bring your kingdom power against the darkness we sense around us. Displace the kingdom of darkness with light and life. Through the victory of Jesus Christ, We ask you to bring protection, healing, and rescue. Whether we see this today, next week, or next month, we believe that you hear us and answer us, and we will continue to trust you, praise you, and worship you. Even as we wait for answers, please deliver us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll see you hopefully tomorrow in some of the devotional content that I put out to you. And maybe every day this week, you'll have to sign up for a group to do that. There are children's content. There's uh, student ministry content. I encourage you to go get involved, engage your faith. See you next week.